Well, I am super excited about today's message. And let me, let me just say this before we get started. Um, one of the things that all of us have in common is that nobody, nobody, nobody loves to wait for anything. I, I've never met a person that I said, what do, you, what do you love to do for fun? And they said, I just love to wait. I, I, go to the, I go to the craziest traffic place in town, and I just love to get stuck. I go to the grocery store, pick the longest line, and then I let people go in front of me. I, I just I, Waiting is the best thing in the world. None of us like to wait, and going to put all my cards on the table here, nobody likes waiting on God. Like, we're real good, aren't we, aren't we, at telling other people, hey, God's working in your life, just you need to wait, you need to be still and know that he is God. We're real good at telling other people that, at least I am. But when it comes to my life, I would like God for you just to move right now. Thank you very much. I would like you to fix this problem right now. I would like this handled. I would like this handled. And if you could do this, and by the way, if you could do this, that would just be really awesome. I love for God to work immediately. But what I've learned in my 48 years here on this planet is that, that in, between, in between a mess and a miracle is a waiting period. And we don't get to determine that waiting period. And sometimes, sometimes, sometimes that waiting period is way longer than we wish it actually was. It goes back to what we talked about last week with the puzzle, that, that we all want the life that looks like this. This is beautiful. It's got a little house and a little barn, horse, a little chicken. Little, oh, there's a cat. So, so other than that piece right there, everything in this, in this picture is perfect. We all want this right here. But what happens in life is sooner or later, something or a series of ha things happen, and we feel like life went from this to this. And, and we feel like our life is in pieces. We feel like our life, and, and it, this is a 1,000-piece puzzle. Now, let's say, for, for example, you saw me um, this past week at the grocery store, because um, that's one of the places we're allowed to go, right? And, and we were six feet apart, um, and you kind of waved at me, and we kind of did the air fist bump. And you said, hey, I got a question for you, Pastor P. That puzzle last week on stage, um, did you, did you uh, put it together? Because we're in quarantine right now. Like, did you put it together last week? And I, and I said to you, I tried. Like, I really did try. You said, really? I said, yeah, yeah, I gave it my best shot. And you're like, okay, did you succeed? And I was like, no, nah, I, didn't, I didn't quite, I wasn't able to quite pull it off. And you said, that's fine, that's fine. I'm, I'm just curious before I, before I move on and try to go find some toilet paper and paper towels and Lysol. Um, how, how long did you work on the puzzle? And I told you, man, I gave it, I gave it 10 minutes. I gave it 10, I tried, I tried, my, I, I tried for 10 minutes to put that together. Nobody in their right mind would walk away going, you know what? He really did give it his best shot. In fact, I Googled this week, how long does it take to put a 1,000-piece puzzle together? Nobody knows. Like, like nobody. It said, I did read one article that says it takes 30 minutes just to get the pieces laid out. So, so this is a mess. This is a miracle. And we don't know how much time it takes place. But eventually, eventually, in God's economy, the mess becomes the miracle. We're in a series called Pieces, we, uh, part two. You can uh, view part one if you missed it last week. It's about Esther. Let me do a really quick review on the characters that we covered last week. The first two that we're going to talk about are Esther and Mordecai. 
And, and Mordecai is Esther's cousin, older cousin, more like an uncle. Esther's parents died when she was a kid, and Mordecai kind of took her in as like a father. He was like a father figure in her life. They were in Jerusalem. Babylon came in, captured them. The Persian Empire captured them, took them all the way to another place that got relocated. Talk about somebody that felt like God had forgotten them. It was Esther and Mordecai. And there are people out there right now, I'm absolutely sure that you're, you have felt like or you currently feel like God has given up on you. And if that's you, these two characters are your characters because they know exactly how that feels. They got transplanted in a foreign land, had to to learn a new language, new culture, knew everything. The second character we talked about was King Xerxes. By the way, this this same King Xerxes, same guy in 300, the bad guy in 300. I don't think he was that tall, but historically, I don't think he was nine feet tall, but if you want to think that, that's up to you. But historically, same guy, same guy. This King Xerxes, remember he threw the 180-day party where everybody got crazy and spoke cursive and got sideways, and then at the end of the party, he decided to have Queen Vashti come in naked, and she was like, I ain't doing that. She's from southern Babylon. I ain't doing that. And so she kind of walked out, and, um, and or he, he actually banished her. And then he said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to have a, a contest, a contest um, to see who's going to become the next queen. Basically, he had... He had a bunch of women brought in from all over the kingdom, and he had sex with one each and every night, and then, and, and then Esther, Esther kind of won the contest. We'll talk about that later because that gets kind of swept under the rug. And, and Sunday, we, don't, we didn't learn about that in Sunday school because that would have been weird, right? Uh, the, the last guy we're going to talk about to, to review is Haman. Haman is a bad guy. Haman is the guy, he could not stand Mordecai. Because Mordecai wouldn't bow down to him. Now, Haman was like the vice president. He was like second in charge in in the kingdom. And so when Haman would go by, everybody would bow down and kind of tremble before him. And Haman didn't like the fact that Mordecai would not bow down or tremble before him. Now, what we ran into last week was Haman wanted to kill Mordecai. But he he developed this plan. He said, you know what? Instead of killing Mordecai, I'm just going to kill all of the Jewish people. The the problem was Esther was Jewish, but she hadn't told the king. Once again, you got to catch it. I'm I'm just doing a quick review, right? So so Haman went to the king and said, hey, king, um, there's a group of people, and you don't even, listen, listen, I just give y'all a bunch of silver. We need to kill these people. And the king trusted Haman so much, he didn't even ask any questions. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'll sign it. And then the law of the Medes and Persians was put into place. Now, we saw last week that once a law is put in place, the law cannot be revoked, which, by the way, is huge for next week when we conclude the series. So the law cannot be revoked. And so Mordecai finds out that all the Jewish people are going to be killed. He, He freaks out. Then he pauses and goes, wait a minute. Esther is the queen. Let's not talk about how she got there. I mean, that's just kind of put, but she's there. So Esther could call, talk to the king and say, hey, king, why don't you let the Jews live? So he tells Esther, hey, just, you know, if you could kind of go talk to the king. And Esther tells Mordecai, you can't just approach the king. You can't just walk in and talk. He talks about himself in third person, like Xerxes is here. Xerxes in the house. Xerxes, hey, you can't do that. And she said, I haven't been summoned to the king in 30 days. In other words, you know, I, I was good, but I, don't, I guess he found something. But I'm not sure, I'm not sure what's going on there. It's kind, of, it's kind of weird in the palace. So I can't go because if you go before the king and he didn't summon you and he doesn't extend the golden scepter, you get killed. 
Mordecai told Esther, said, well, you know, here, here's the deal. If you, don't, if you don't step in faith and you don't do something, then salvation for the Jews is going to come out about some, some other way. Then he said, but, but maybe, Esther, maybe, maybe the reason you've gone through all this hell, my paraphrase, is for such a time as this. Maybe the reason all this hurt, we said last week, God never wastes pain. All this hurt, all this pain, all this confusion, maybe the reason you went through it all was to set you up for a time like this. Maybe, maybe, Esther, God's putting the pieces back in place. And she said, we'll go get all, all our people together, fast and pray for three days, and I'll go before the king. And we said last week, and she said, if I die, I die. In other words, I'm not going to step into this next season full of fear. I'm going to step into this next season full of faith. And I don't, I don't know about you, I don't know, but my faith and my fear kind of do this right here. And, and I, I'm praying that, that my faith will always be greater than my fear. Um, so that's where we're going to pick, pick up the story. Esther chapter 5, verse 1. On the third day of the fast, Esther put on her royal robes and entered the inner court of the palace just across from the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne facing the entrance. Now, just real quick question, and don't answer out loud because I don't want to set you up for failure, okay? You think she was scared? Dang straight she was scared. This is her life on the line. What we do is we, we look at the Bible, and we think the Bible is full of really good, awesome, morally superior people that God said, I've got to choose them to be on my team. But the Bible is full of jacked up people that God used anyway. That, that's, that's what the Bible is full of. And at the end of the day, let's not forget that Esther, who would not even qualify to volunteer in most of our churches across the world, has a book of the Bible named after her, a sex slave God used to set people free. That, does that disturb anybody? It's disturbing. It's disturbing. So, so when she walked in there, do you think she had some sweat on her, on her forehead, yes or no? Yeah. Think she was shaking a little bit? Yeah, but you know what? She said, I'm going to choose faith over fear. And let me, let, me, let me just help everybody. It's a choice. It's a choice. Anybody can tell you do not fear when they're not in your circumstances. But, but it's, it's, it's choosing faith over fear very intentionally. So Esther walked in. She's getting ready to faith. I mean, this is, this is an intense situation. What's going to happen? When he saw Queen Esther standing there in the inner court, he welcomed her and held out the gold scepter to her. Isn't this a great way to, like, have your wife come talk to you, right? Hey, baby, if you come in and hold out the gold scepter, you can speak. I don't think that's going to fly. But anyway, it, this is a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. So Esther approached and touched the end of the scepter. Then the king asked her, what do you want, Queen Esther? What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it is half of the kingdom. Now, pause real quick, because I know a lot of y'all are thinking, I would have just chosen half the kingdom and been out, you know, and just kind of figured that out. That was more like a metaphor. That's, that's, that's the king saying, I'm in a good mood. I'll give you whatever you want. Now, up to, that, 
that's just to emphasize how good he was feeling. Now, here's what's crazy. You can see God putting pieces together. Because the king, we can all say, Xerxes was not a godly man. But he was under God's control. See, God is in control. Even when it seems out of control, God is in control. And we see God moving through this entire situation. Esther does something, though, that's really, on the surface, it's really strange. Because if I'm Esther, I'm going off on Haman. I'm going off on this law. I am screaming. I am crying. But let me, let me just say this. Esther didn't play the victim. And I say this often, but I want to say it again. Victims never walk in victory. If you want to be a victim, you can be a victim. And you can have people feel sorry for you. But you will never know what it's like to step out of the tomb. Because being a victim is simply a graveyard that you choose to stay in. I'm not saying something bad didn't happen. I'm just saying you got to choose to walk in, in victimhood or victory. I didn't even plan to say that. That was absolutely free. Esther replied, if it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today to a banquet I've prepared for the king. The king turned to his attendant and said, tell Haman to come quickly to a banquet as Esther had requested. So the king and Haman went to Esther's banquet. Now, just a couple things to note about this. Number one, don't you like the fact that she had already prepared the banquet? Like, she didn't have to go prepare it. She, in other words, she was walking in faith. She was walking in confidence, which, by the way, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, let me just say this. During this season right now, can we please be the people that speak with voices of reason? Can we not be the people freaking out? Can we not be in like, oh, this is the blood moon. There's going to be horses and fire falling from the sky. Okay, if that happens, peace out. But it's probably not happening. Can we calm down and act like we believe that Jesus is Lord and walk in faith? For the love. That was free too. All right, so, so she fixed the banquet. She, she went ahead and prepared the banquet. Now, if you're, if you're watching this movie, you're like, why didn't she just tell? Why didn't she just tell the king what was going on? And, and your first thought is, well, she's a woman. It takes her time to get to the story. You ever been talking to a lady? Huh? You ever been talking to a woman? Typically, it's a woman. And, and 10 minutes in, you're like, are we ever going to land this plane? Like, does this story have an end? Just can we please land the plane for the love of God? Okay, probably got some unfollows right there. So the king and Haman went to Esther's banquet. And while they were drinking wine, by the way, alcohol is a truth serum. Did y'all know that? I didn't know. I just heard from somebody. Um, while they were drinking wine, the king said to Esther, now tell me what you really want. What you really, really want. What is your request? It's a little, y'all like that pop culture reference. Old pop. Anyway, I will give it to you even if it's half the kingdom. Esther replied, this is my request and my deepest wish. This is where she's going to go for it, right? Watch what she does. If I have found favor with the king and if it pleases the king to grant my request and do what I ask, please come with Haman tomorrow to the banquet. I will prepare for you. Then I will explain what this is all about. Esther was like, in other words, I'm going to land the plane then, tomorrow, not right now. 
Now, if you're watching this story, I remember reading this, being so confused, going, Esther, you're in the presence of the king. You're in Haman. You're in the presence of Haman. You just tell on Haman. But Esther used something here. This is something that I pray for every single day for me. This is something that I pray for every single day. There's not a single day that goes by in my life that I don't ask God for wisdom. Because think about this. If Esther hadn't seen the king for 30 days, then they weren't as tight in their relationship. But Haman was the king's right-hand guy. So Haman had spent time with the king every day. Esther had spent no time with him in 30 days. So Esther knows she's got to step into this and reestablish the relationship. Not go psycho, not go crazy. Esther right here is walking in wisdom. And that's our call as a follower of Christ. When we can't figure it out, one of the things that we can do is ask God for wisdom and walk in wisdom. We don't react. We walk in wisdom. We don't react. We walk in wisdom. Now, I, there's, a, there's a part of the story that I left out last week, and I left this part of the story out on, on purpose. Uh, and, and we're going to get to that in just a second. Here we go. Haman, uh, yeah, we'll get to that in just a second. Haman was a happy man because he had been drinking wine with the, with the, with the queen and, and, and the king. And the Bible says wine makes the heart glad. I, I've just heard. I don't know. Somebody told me. Philip told me. Haman was a happy man as he left the banquet. But when he saw Mordecai sitting at the palace gate, not standing up or trembling nervously before him, Haman became furious. Have you ever seen somebody and you just saw that person as soon as you saw him, you got furious? Don't type any names in if you're watching online. It happens. It happens. Watch what happens. However, he restrained himself and went on home. Then Haman gathered together his friends and Zeresh, his wife, and boasted to them about his great wealth and his many children. He bragged about the honors the king had given him and how he had been promoted over all the other nobles and officials. Then he added, and that's not all. Queen Esther invited only me and the king himself to the banquet she prepared for us. And she has invited me to dine with her and the king again tomorrow. In other words, Haman's like, I am it, y'all. It stinks in here because I'm the, anyway, I, I'm, I'm it. I'm it. I'm it. I'm awesome. That's basically, he had a t-shirt that said, I'm awesome. Had a bumper sticker on his camel, said, I'm awesome. I'm awesome.com. That, that was what he was saying. He's bragging about himself. But then, but then this happens. Then he added, but all this is all worth nothing. Whoa. Whoa. Everything you just bragged about, your money, your house, your kid, your friends, your family, your health. Yeah, all that's worth nothing. As long as I see Mordecai the Jew just sitting there at the palace gate. There's something in Haman's life that aren't, that these pieces for Haman, they aren't coming together, they're falling apart. There's something called bitterness. Have you ever, have you ever been bitter? I mean, just really bitter. I, I just confess some bitterness to y'all today, if you're, if you're okay with it. Okay, good. Anytime I'm watching college football, Steve Sperrier comes on, change the channel, because I'm bitter. I don't like him. Have you ever met him? Nope. 
that's not very Christian. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm better. He, he led the Gamecocks to beat Clemson five times in a row. And, and so every time he comes on, well, you know what I think? I just change the channel because I, I don't want to hear him. Now, now, I'm not bitter at Gamecocks because since then we've gone on to win two national championships in football. And you had, well, let's not talk about that. But, but you know, <laughs> hey, guys, y'all are right here. All right, that's that. Anyway, sorry, I didn't want to turn this into a football illustration. But we see people, we hear about people, we get bitter. But here's what I want everybody to understand, and we're going to see this in Haman's life. I want you to see this. Bitterness will break the power of God in our lives. Now, I want to pause. I want to be real sensitive. There are people in this room, there are people watching online, you have legitimately been hurt by another person. You've legitimately been hurt by a situation that was beyond your control. Some of us are bitter at other people. Some of us are bitter at God. I'm not saying don't be bitter. Wouldn't that be easy if somebody, if you were just bitter and somebody came up and said, don't be so bitter. Oh my God, that's the brightest idea in the world. You are amazing. Let's crown you king and call, I mean, that, I would love to just, for that to settle everything. But the thing I've discovered personally, and I've seen in the lives of other people, is bitterness will break the power of God in our lives. So you can hold on to bitterness, but you'll never see God work in your life like he wants to work. It, when you hold on to bitterness, you push the pause on the pieces coming back together. That's what happens to me every time I get better. Now, I said, I said that I was going to review a story from last week. I kind of skipped over it. And some of you, um, maybe you're like, okay, you skipped over part of the story in Esther, and I know I did. I'm going to revisit it really quick because it's really important, okay? Um, and Esther chapter 5, verse 14, we'll get there in just a second. So Haman's wife, Zeresh, and all his friends suggested, set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall. Now I'm like, is that necessary? 75 feet tall? 75 feet tall? And in the morning, I asked the king to impale Mordecai on it. Now getting impaled on a pole was not a very humane way to die. In fact, with men, they would take the pole, literally disembowel them, stick it through their rear end and hang them, and that's how you die. This is not, this, not good. Not signing up for that. So, uh, oh, and by the way, I, I did say that. And don't I, the, the Bible is not a family-friendly book. There, there's some gross stuff in the Bible. If the Bible was made into a full-length movie, it'd be NC-17. You would not let your kids see it, especially before they went to bed, especially that whole flood scene where God killed everybody. All right, here we go. When this is done, you can go on your merry way to the banquet with the king. This pleased Haman, and he ordered the pole to be set up. In other words, I'm killing Haman on the 75-foot pole. But something's going on. God's working behind the scenes. He's putting the pieces back in place. Because back in, in, in chapter 2, the Bible says one day as Mordecai, this, this, happened, before, this happened in chapter 2, before Esther had the, the, the contest, um, uh, or actually as she had the con- after she had the contest, one day as Mordecai was on duty at the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs, Big Thana, which he just kind of sounds like a bully, huh? Big Thana, hey, what's up, Big Thana? Big Thana, and Teresh, who were guards at the door of the king's private quarters, became angry with King Xerxes and plotted to assassinate him. But Mordecai heard about the plot and gave the information to Queen Esther. She then told the king about it and gave Mordecai 
credit for the, for the report. When an investigation was made and Mordecai's story was found to be true, the two men were impaled on a sharpened pole. That, ow. Um, this was all recorded in the book of the history of King Xerxes' reign. But, but Mordecai didn't get a reward or like a, like a cash thing or get to drive the king's car for a little bit. Nothing happened. It's just kind of that story was mentioned and it moved on. But remember, Esther is a, Esther is a story of life that has fallen completely apart. God being completely in control. Everything on the surface looks out of control, but behind the scenes, God is in control. So in Esther chapter 6, that night, that night, meaning the night before Haman was going to come to him and ask him to kill Mordecai, the king had trouble sleeping, so he ordered an attendant to bring the book of the history of his reign so it could be read to him, which is fascinating. He had a book about him read to him. Hey, hey, I got a great idea. I got to bring me that book about me and read it to me. He's a little, little self-centered, a little self-centered. In those records, he discovered an account of how Mordecai had exposed the plot of Big Thana and Teresh, two of the eunuchs who guarded the door to the king's private quarters. They had plotted to assassinate King Xerxes, what reward or recognition did we ever give Mordecai for this? So Mordecai did something good here, and he didn't get rewarded. Have you ever done something good for somebody, and you felt like you didn't get any type of recognition? But you know what? That stuff really all does come back around. I'm, and some of y'all, are you talking about karma? No, I'm talking about you reap what you sow. That's, that's in Galatians chapter 6. So anyway, um, nothing, nothing's been done for him. Watch this. Now watch what God does. Watch how awesome God works just behind the scenes. Verse 4, who is that in the outer court, the king inquired. As it happened, Haman had just arrived in the outer court of the palace to ask the king to impale Mordecai on the pole he had prepared. So he's, he's getting ready to ask the king, will you impale Mordecai? Now watch what happens. This is so great. So the attendants replied to the king, Haman is out in the court. Bring him in, the king ordered. So Haman came in, and the king said, What should I do to honor a man who truly pleases me? Haman thought to himself, Who would the king wish to honor more than me? This is, this is what happens when you get bitter and you get angry. You can't even see the bitterness and anger, anger in yourself. You begin to think you're awesome and other people are not because of what you've gone through. So he's like, you know, who would, who would the king wish to honor more than me? So he replied, if the king wishes to honor someone, he should bring out one of the king's own royal robes, as well as a horse that the king himself has ridden, one with a royal emblem on its head. Let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials and let him see that the man whom the king wishes to honor is dressed in the king's robe and led through the city square on the king's horse, have the officials shout as they go, this is what the king does for someone he wishes to honor. Excellent, the king said to Haman. Quick, take the robes and my horse and do just as you have said for Mordecai the Jew. You ever had a oh crap moment? This was Haman's. Oh, crap. Hollywood could not have scripted this any better. This is 
amazing. This is reality television right here at its best. It's either, listen, we either choose to walk in humility or God will humble us, one or the other. We can either choose to walk in humility, which is tricky because you can't tell anybody you're humble. So, so, but we can choose to walk in humility or God will humble us. This is what happens. This is great. It, so Haman took the robes and put them on Mordecai, placed him on the king's own horse and led him through the city sh- square shouting, this is what the king does for someone he wishes to honor. Afterward, Mordecai returned to the palace gate, but Haman hurried home, dejected and completely humiliated. Duh. When Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends what had happened, his wise advisors and his wife said, since Mordecai, this man who has humiliated you, is of Jewish birth, you will never succeed in your plans against him. It will be fatal to continue opposing him. In other words, give up this stupid fight. While they were, quick, while they were still talking, the king's eunuchs arrived and quickly took Haman to the banquet Esther had prepared. Don't miss this. I read all that story. I could have summarized it, but I wanted to read it so we could understand this one point. We cannot worry if we really believe God is working. The whole time, Mordecai, Haman is trying to kill Mordecai. God is going to use Haman to lift up Mordecai. At the end of the day, we can't worry. There is no record, there's no indication at any point in this story that Mordecai was overcome by worry. And if we really believe, if we're going to be the type of people that say God is always at work, then we've got to live like we believe God is always at work because when we worry, we're showing that we are practical atheists. In other words, we're Christian in name. But when we worry, it's because we, we, we don't believe God is actually taking these pieces and putting them together in his time, not ours. Well, it gets crazier. So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet. On the second occasion, while they were drinking wine, it's, once again, it's a common theme here, the king again said to Esther, tell me what you want, Queen Esther. What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it is half the kingdom. In other words, he's like, my God, woman, can we make a decision? You ever said that to your wife at the mall? I'm just, I'm just kind of curious. Queen Esther replied. Now watch, watch how brilliant her answer is. Once again, watch. It's just brilliant. This is wisdom. This is what we're asking God for on a consistent basis. God, show me how to raise this kid. God, show me how to be a better person. God, show me how to be a better friend. God, show me how to do my job better. Watch, watch this. If I have found favor with the king, in other words, she plays up to his emotions. And if it pleases the king to grant my request, I ask that my life and the lives of my people will be spared. I want to pause. I want to pause. I think one of the reasons we're reading a story about the book of Esther is Esther wasn't asking the king for her own life. Esther was about her life and the lives of others. That's when we know we have a heart for God. It's when we actually have a heart for others. Esther could have easily saved her own skin, but she put her life on the line because she loved other people. That's what followers of Christ do. We'll put our life on the line when we love other people. So, so 
she said, for the lives of my people, for my people and I have been sold to those who would kill, slaughter, and annihilate us. If we had merely been sold as slaves, I could remain quiet, for that would be too trivial a matter to warrant disturbing the king. Who would do such a thing? King Xerxes demanded. Who would be so presumptuous as to touch you? So the, the king obviously has just remembered, oh, I really like this Esther girl. I mean, she's amazing. Who would be so presumptuous as to, to touch you? Like, who, who's behind all this? Esther replied, this wicked Haman is our adversary. Do you notice what she does here? King, it's not just about, it's our adversary because if I die, it affects you. And so she kind of, once again, wisdom pulling the king into it. Um, this, this wicked Haman is our adversary and our enemy. That's all she said. Once she got the, she didn't have to cry, scream, yell, throw things. All she had to do was she walked in faith. She walked in wisdom. She chose not to worry because she knew God was working. And when the time came, she said less than 10 words. And the problem was taken care of. Watch this. Haman grew pale with fright before the king and queen. Then the king jumped to his feet in a rage and went out into the palace garden. So the king is pissed. Haman is ishing his pants. And Esther is sitting there, the most chill person in the world. Watch what happens. Haman, however, stayed behind to plead for his life with Queen Esther, for he knew that the king intended to kill him. Watch, you can't make this up. In despair, he fell on the couch where Queen Esther was reclining. Just as the king was returning from the palace garden, the king exclaimed, Will he even assault the queen right here in the palace before my very eyes? As soon as the king spoke, his attendants covered Haman's face, signaling his doom. This is like one of those scenes from the movie Taken where they just kind of put the bag over the face, and you know it's, it's over. It's over. It's over. Now watch. Watch what God does. Watch how, listen, watch how God will fight your battles. If you will simply choose in, in a time where it's desperate, and listen, I'm, I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to anybody. To worship and not worry, God will fight our battles. And by the way, God's a much better fighter than we are. Because watch what happens. And you can't make this stuff up. Then Harbona, one of the king's eunuchs, said, Haman has set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall in his own courtyard. He intended to use it to impale Mordecai, the man who saved the king from assassination. Then impale Haman on it, the king ordered. So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai, and the king's anger subsided. God will fight your battles. God will fight your battles. So I want to talk to somebody just real quick that you're in a season right now where you feel abandoned by God. You feel forgotten by other people. Like there, there, was a, there was a time where like you felt like life was pretty decent, but then everything fell apart on you. I want you to know today, I want you to hear this. God is taking your pieces and putting them back in place. 
Perry, you, Perry, you, Perry, you don't know what I did. Okay, fine. Esther was a sex slave. And God put her life back into place. You think she dealt with shame? Think she dealt with guilt? Think she dealt with embarrassment? Absolutely. But today we're talking about her as a hero. God can take our pain and turn it into something amazing in his time. So the the wrapping up thought today is this, that even though there are so many pieces, God will fulfill his promises. Even though there are so many pieces, God will fulfill his promises. I want you to understand, I know what it's like to have everything fall apart on you. But I also know what it's like to start to see the pieces finally come together. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you today for who you are. I want to thank you for what you're doing. God, I want to thank you for what you've done. I want to pray for every single person watching online or listening to the podcast right now, Jesus, who feels like their life is in pieces. God, that they are in the middle of a breakup or a divorce, middle of a situation with their kid, a middle of a situation with their job. God, they feel like everything has fallen apart. They're dealing with loneliness, guilt, shame. Father, that you would remind us today that you're calling us out of the ashes. That you love us unconditionally. That your grace is amazing. And it's for all of us, not just some of us. In Jesus' name, amen.